Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The FT. With work progressing on finally sealing BP's ruptured well in the Gulf of Mexico, the focus has shifted to the investigations into the causes of the explosion on April 20th. We'll be discussing in this week's Energy Weekly how BP is faring in front of the US Coast Guard and the Bureau of Ocean Energy Management. And in this first show back after the summer break, We will also be talking about news that Cuba is preparing for oil exploration in the waters off the Gulf of Mexico, just 50 miles off the US. We'll be asking what does this mean for the trade embargo on the Caribbean nation. After that, we'll take a look at the Canadian potash industry and the battle over pricing, production and marketing arrangements. And we'll finish this week's show with a look at mining mogul Anil Agarwal and his moves to make Vedanta the natural resources champion in India. I'm Sylvia Pfeiffer, and you're listening to Energy Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm joined this week by Javi Blas, the FT's commodities correspondent, and William McNamara, the FT's mining correspondent. And on the line, we also have Sheila McNulty from Houston. Welcome, everybody. Hi. Hi. And let's kick off then with BP and the ongoing investigations into the oil spill in the, in the Gulf of Mexico. BP is preparing to publish its own internal report into the investigation, into the accident, sorry, in the next fortnight. Um, Sheila, you spent the last week listening to hearings in the investigation by the U.S. Coast Guard, and there was some interesting stuff that came out, I thought, um, in evidence given on this. What what were some of the main ones that came out of the hearing that struck you as, as being important that might feature in BP's internal report? Well, one of the main issues that came out that people in in the industry are talking about is that the service companies, uh, Transocean and Halliburton, which have gotten quite a bit of mileage out of criticizing um, BP and the fact that they did give them warnings and they had different ideas that things here and there were wrong, could have actually stopped the operations at any point. So this has brought up an interesting argument in the industry, which is do these service companies actually have the stop work authority that they say they do, and if they do have it, are they willing to exercise it against the people paying their bills and giving them the contracts out in the deep waters? So that's one of the main to issues. To do, wouldn't it? Um, I mean, I don't know, sorry just to interrupt you there, I just thought if, I mean, if you're somebody on the rig, um, it would be quite a big call to make, wouldn't it, if you sort of suddenly said, actually, I'm not comfortable with what's going on here, um, I think we should stop. Right, and there, there, there have been quite a few emails where people said, I don't like this or I don't like that, but they didn't take it any further. And the investigators pushed them and pressed them and said, you know, why didn't they? And they really didn't have a good answer. They just felt, well, I told one person, I told my boss, and that was that. So nobody seemed to feel that they could have said, I don't like this and I'm stopping this. So it doesn't seem that the stop work authority is as prevalent or even used at all among the contractors, uh, despite 
the company's making quite a big deal about how they have this authority. And is, is there also a bit of a sort of blame game going on at the moment? I mean, I know um, there seemed to be stuff coming out about the maintenance of the rig um, what wasn't really up to scratch at the time of the accident and, and also question marks about the, the cement job on the well. I, get, I wondered whether those were two points that might be again mentioned in some of the investigations or even BP's internal report. Yes, BP has focused in on those, saying that, you know, pointing out that their contractors, for example, Transocean, had 390 overdue maintenance problems on the Deepwater Horizon rig. In September, that was quite a few months before the accident, so Transocean has shot back and said we, that it had addressed 90% of them before the accident. Nonetheless, um, it does sort of shift the focus a little to Transocean. Everybody in the industry is always talking about how Transocean is the best of the best, but with so many overdue maintenance problems, it did just sort of raise the question whether, well, should we be looking at everybody, not just BP? And just in terms of the, the Coast Guard, what kind of censure do they have um, against BP? I mean, what, what kind of what could they do if they do find you know, various companies guilty of something? They don't have any disciplinary powers, this panel. They just can refer their findings for further inquiry uh, up in the chain of command within Interior to see if disciplinary or legal action is warranted. So it's really a a fact-finding mission, and they have quite a few months to complete it. It looks like there's going to be one more hearing in October, and we should get more interesting things out of that. Then just finally, what's actually happening live in in the Gulf at the moment? Are they they trying to bring up the the blowout preventer, the sort of stack of valves that should have worked and, and sealed off the well before the accident? Yes, and there's uh, hope that they can look through that equipment and maybe get some better ideas as to what happened, what failed, what went wrong. Thank you very much, Sheila. Thank you. Let's keep to the Gulf of Mexico, but move sort of 50 miles further down. Cuba is making good progress on on promises to investigate all exploration in the area. Um, And Javi, I just wondered, isn't it a bit of an odd time to be doing this, given what's just happened um, in the Gulf of Mexico in the U.S. waters? Well, for sure, everyone is going to be looking at this new exploration campaign by by Cuba. It's not the first time they have tried to find out offshore oil, and there have been some progress in the past, particularly by Repsol, the Spanish oil company, using the, the Spanish is linked with Cuba, who uh, drilled some wells and found some evidence of, of hydrocarbons. But to move from evidence of hydrocarbons to an actual production is a pretty big step. And that's just where I think that they are trying to move now, try to, to find out if those evidence of hydrocarbons indeed are on a commercial scale that justify production. Cuba is already a, a, a small producer of, of oil with some onshore deposits on, on the island, but mostly relies on, on imports. And obviously, from a political point of view, uh, uh, the leadership in, in Havana will be very keen to discover oil and being able just to be independent on oil. And what does that mean for, for companies who might want to sort of get in on the action? I mean, who's been there before apart from Repsol, the Russians and the Chinese? Exactly. The Russians, the Chinese and Repsol have been there. And it's a it's a tricky situation for the companies because they have to maintain the, their investment to a level where the U.S. is comfortable with, with the trade embargo. Uh, on the other hand, uh, relationships between uh, Cuba and, and the U.S. are slowly improving. And oil could be one of the areas that we can see. Uh, one, one other player that is going to be looking this from the side lines but quite a lot of concern is obviously Venezuela that is today the main partner uh, on on oil uh, to to Cuba and obviously uh, Venezuela wants to keep maintaining that link to supply Cuba with with cheap uh, crude oil because in exchange uh, Cuba is providing with health services to to Venezuela sending lots of doctors to Venezuela to maintain the health system there. But no US companies I mean would the US companies be sort of eyeing this I would be absolutely surprised utterly surprised if we see uh, the source of uh, 
ExxonMobil or Chevron going into 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 Cuba for for any, any drilling. I think that we are far beyond that. And in any case, uh, so far all the evidence is, although Cuba is obviously within the Gulf of Mexico, most of the discoveries that have been made so far are far away from the area where Cuba is. It's more closer to the Louisiana and Texas uh, offshore coast rather than uh, rather than to the area of the east of Florida and Cuba. So uh, geologists are a bit skeptical whether big big oil deposits could be founded in the in the waters offshore Cuba. In any case, it's a very challenging area. It's going to be deep water, and and obviously we know what what happened when you are drilling on frontier areas such as such as deep water. What are the chances of Obama um, lifting the deep water um, drilling moratorium in the U.S. early? I know that was meant to be lifted by November. I think that uh, still November is a is a better date. I think it's going to play poli- in the politics of the midterm elections in the U.S. and uh, the Democrats are, are 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 just trailing on that election. So I suppose that no one is going to make anything that it could make uh, for Obama uh, the life more difficult uh, going into into the elections. So I I don't think that we are going to see anything even. Even if the U.S. administration was to move today to lift the the ban, mm-hmm. the moratorium, sorry, uh, it will have relatively minor impact because a lot of the rigs have been already displaced to other areas. Okay. All right. Thank you very much, Javier. Let's move on to Canada and the negotiations over the price of of potash. Well, just wondered if you could sort of bring us up to date as to to what's been going on. Obviously, it's one of the biggest deals, uh, certainly this year, I think. Where we stand is that we're we're a little over two weeks into into this bid, which is for uh, the world's largest producer of potash, which is also a producer of phosphate and nitrogen. All of these uh, raw materials help plants grow uh, their fertilizer ingredients. This is BHP, uh, which is the biggest mining company in the world. Mm. It's based in Australia. It's probably the most diversified mining company in the world in terms of extracting everything from oil to manganese to zinc to iron ore. Even within a very diverse portfolio, potash uh, would be quite an unusual addition, given that it has little bearing with industrial metals, which are BHP's base, and has more to do with um, agricultural market trends. And this is exactly the reason why BHP wants sort of what, what might be considered the top group of fertilizer assets in the world in its stable, right? Uh, because it believes that the more diversified, the better. Okay. And what are, what are BHP shareholders? What have they said so far? Have they been backing Marius Klopp as the chief executive? Yeah, they have mixed opinions, not entirely unpredictable at this stage in the game. They don't want BHP to overpay. A common theme among the um, among at least two or three shareholders is that this is a, a bold, exciting new even sort of macho venture, but it is a, in the a, in the cold light of reason the best use of of BHP's ample cash. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of uh, some institutional investors rather have um, have have mentioned a share buyback maybe as a better use of cash, right. or uh, you know ramped up capex on some of its other. Uh, projects around its portfolio. Right. And what's the response been from some of the suppliers or other people in, in the fertilizer industry? I mean, they must have had a bit of a shock when this bid suddenly came out. I mean, was it out of the blue? What did they think? I mean, and Marius Kloppers has a bit of a history, doesn't he, in terms of, I don't know if it's cornering the market on pricing, but what are the implications for pricing in, in the fertilizer market if they do win the potash corporation? I have been talking to some of the CEOs of, of rival fertilizer companies. I think that, in general, it was not a surprise that uh, BHP Billiton has just uh, announced this bid for 
for hostile bid for Potash Corporation. I think that the timing was a bit more sur- more of a surprise, but uh, everyone on the industry knew that, uh, and also BHP made very clear, we are going to go to Potash, and usually the party line from BHP Bidditon is when we go to a mineral, we don't go to be the number four or five, we want to be number one, number two on that, that, that sector. So everyone was betting that but that uh, BHP Billiton will try to buy something. But obviously, at least two CEOs of rival companies have been speaking to, uh, they were a bit surprised on the timing. I mean, just still a lot of concerns about the, the, the health of the global economy. So it's kind of taking a, a big bet. Obviously, everyone is, is watching this move very, very closely because BHP Billiton has made very clear that he will change the way that the industry is run. Uh, so far, a potash corporation acts as a swim producer, kind of the Saudi Arabia of the potash market. When the demand is low, they drop the, their production where the demand increase, they increase their production in an effort to try to keep the price of potash as high as possible. BHP has made very clear that his philosophy is running all their assets as, as hard as they can within safety. So they will not drop uh, uh, production, they will go to maximum capacity. And this is an industry where Potash Corporation, for example, in 2009, last year, he was producing about 20% of his capacity. So obviously there is a lot of, of room to, 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 to increase production. So there uh, it's going to be uh, there are a lot of concerns what could happen with high cost producers if BHP gets in his way and it just goes full capacity. The other key question is uh, potash is market uh, the potash production of Canada is market through a legal cartel uh, composed of potash corporation Mosaic of the US and Agrion of Canada two other fertilizer companies and we don't know exactly what BHP intends to do with 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 this cartel that is called Campotex. Right. But uh, at the and beginning, they told... you say it's a cartel, what do you mean exactly? Well, they, 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 the they, they met together, they market together, they right. set the price okay. together, and they discuss production levels all, all together. This this cartel that it will be used, the target of antitrust regulation in any other country, is protected by a specific legislation in Canada that allows uh, and promotes his existence. It has been going on around for almost 40 years. Uh, it was created in 1972. So uh, BHP said that it was not very happy with this cartel arrangement then has been uh, softening his position saying that it's willing to take the logistical facilities of the cartel. I mean, Campotex owns port facilities, railway uh, rolling stock, shipping agreements that BHP is very keen to, to continue using with his partners in the cartel. But BHP basically wants to continue marketing his own production his way and also he wants to be uh, production at full capacity and the market deciding the price. So obviously the bid goes beyond uh, a corporate uh, takeover between BHP Billiton and, and Potash Corporation and has ramification both for the whole industry because it will change the, the potash and the, and the fertilizer industry uh, uh, upside down, but also for farmers around the world because the pricing mechanism that we have been using for the last 40 years mm-hmm. that at the end of the day affects the farmers everywhere from Brazil to China could just change overnight. Right. Okay. I think it obviously sounds like like a deal we'll be watching over the next what few weeks or months even to come. Um, let, let's move on to our sort of final topic of today: India and the mining giant Vedanta. And, and Vedanta has sort of done something recently, which also sort of mirrors what BHP already does. And Vedanta sort of has agreed to take a majority stake in Cam PLC's Indian listed subsidiary, meaning it's also moving into oil, which I know BHP already has some oil business. I just wondered, Will, if you could give us a bit of a flavour of, of, of the man who runs or controls Vedanta. Anil Agarwal is a billionaire, I think, if I'm right. Mm, yes, what, what, is, a... is this just him <laughs> wanting to get even more control in his home market or, or what's the sort of deal about? 
Yes, uh, Anil Agarwal, who owns about uh, 60% of Vedanta, which is itself a FTSE 100 uh, blue-chip mining company, is a, a classic empire builder, and he's been extremely successful at amalgamating former state-owned mining and metals assets in India, which was a largely state-run economy until about 10 or 15 years ago. His prominence and in, indeed wealth has grown as the importance of of mining and metals uh, has grown since about 2003, uh, the year when he listed Vedanta on the London Stock Exchange. The returns that from these assets, from these former state-owned assets, increased during the commodity boom, boom years from about 03 to 08. Um, the company became extremely successful. Mm. In a lot of ways, it became the face of India, Inc., and Mr. Agarwal himself was and remains the face of the company. Um, mm. He and his family as I say, control a majority stake and um, personally supervise strategy and expansion. He's betting quite heavily on India, isn't he? I mean, he sort of thinks this is the, the reason for the deal is Indian energy demand. It's it's growing. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a very charismatic person uh, personally, and he will always tell you that that uh, there is no recession in India, that mm. India, like China, may drop from a growth rate of around 10 to a, to around 5, God forbid, but it's still a 5% growth rate. This is a rapidly uh, industrializing and urbanizing economy. It needs all those copper wire, wires and, and zinc and, and steel buildings and construction materials to... Uh, to, to to achieve its growth, and he's there to provide it. Right. The jump into oil is sort of a logical extension of his expansion strategy to date, which is um, India needs just about everything to grow. India, a little-known fact, has a lot of those raw materials needed to grow. It's just that they have never been particularly well-mined well, or efficiently extracted mm. um, or extracted on the economies of scale that they could. Yeah. And so his proposal, which has been mostly successful with some very, some very serious hiccups along the years, has been to, to put the capital and the international tech, technical expertise behind developing uh, India's domestic um, mineral assets. Right. He thinks he can do this with Karen. Okay. And is, is is the deal, just a final question on that one, is, is the deal likely to happen, do you think? Well, gosh, that's an impossible one to answer. Uh, yes, I think, you know, he the man has clout in India. Uh, it, it, he, he, he's put a, um, a, a large bid on the table. Um, who knows, but he could probably raise it if need be. Um, thank you very much. Well, that's all we have time for this week. We'll be watching events of BP closely and we'll bring you an update on next week's show. All that's left is to thank my guests in the studio, Javier Blas, William McNamara, and from Houston, Sheila McNulty, and to thank you for listening. Energy Weekly was produced by LJ Filatrani. Till next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.